Jesus is the eternal I am sovereign Lord of the universe who can make you free indeed. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. The desire to be free is a fundamental instinct in human beings. We long to be free. We hate the chains of oppression. We yearn to breathe free, as the famous poem inscribed on the Statue of Liberty declares. And America has been called the land of the free. But what is freedom? What is freedom? Webster's Dictionary defines freedom as the absence of necessity, coercion, or constraint in choice or action. It is liberation from slavery or restraint from the power of another. It is the quality or the state of being exempt or released, usually from something onerous. And so we long for freedom, don't we? We long for political freedom. We long for economic freedom. We long for personal freedom. And these are all noble desires. But I would suggest that there is something far more important than political freedom or economic freedom or personal freedoms. There is a far more important freedom which we need and we ought to pursue. I am talking about spiritual freedom. I'm talking about freedom from sin, freedom from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day, too, from the very presence of sin. This is the most important freedom of all. And this is something we can have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're continuing today, then, with our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a harmony of the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, all put together into one flowing account of the life ministry of Jesus then. Today then, we are looking at being free indeed, free indeed. And our text is coming from John chapter 8, John chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. And here is the key thought I want us to take away from us. Today, we, want, we must know that Jesus is the eternal I am sovereign Lord of the universe who can make you free indeed. He is the eternal I am sovereign Lord of the universe who can make you free indeed. First, as always, a little context for our text here. Jesus has come to Jerusalem to attend the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a feast that commemorated Israel's years of living in the wilderness before entering the promised land. And it lasted for seven days. And there the people, they would construct little dwelling structures called tabernacles or booths that were made from tree branches like those that the Israelites lived in during the wilderness wandering. And there were two significant elements involved in the feast that involved water and light. And Jesus would draw on those themes to declare that he is the living water and the light of the world. We saw how Jesus drew on that water to say that he is the living water, that those who drink of the water of salvation, which he offers, 
will never thirst again. And Jesus is the light of the world, that those who walk in him will have the light of life, and they will never walk in darkness. And today, then, we see how he sets free, he sets free those who know him, those who walk in the light. But before we get to our text in John chapter 8, I want to read a couple of other passages in Scripture as background to understanding the conversation in John chapter 8 between Jesus and the Pharisees. This first one is here in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Through Abram, or as he would later be called by God, Abraham, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. The Israelites, the Jews, they were the physical descendants of Abraham, and through the line of Abraham came the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it is through Jesus, then, that all the people of the earth have been blessed. And all who believe in Jesus receive the gift, then, of eternal life. Now, God blessed Abraham in the land where God had sent him, the promised land. His family grew to about 70 people. But then there was a famine in the land, and Abraham and his family journeyed to Egypt, where God had sovereignly raised up Joseph to save them as well as many more people from surrounding nations. And in time, the family of Abraham, the Israelites, grew to become a great nation. But eventually, they came to be enslaved by the Egyptians. But God raised up Moses to set his people free from slavery in Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, we read of God's calling of Moses for this task. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, 
and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am, that is the personal name of God. It is Yahweh, Yahweh, God's personal name. And his name speaks to his majestic power and glory as the eternally existent God. I am that I am. He has always been, he is, and he will always be. He is the eternal, all-powerful, sovereign Lord of the universe. So with that then, let's look then at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31 here. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Really? How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. To be free indeed. Free indeed. You know, interestingly enough, note how the Pharisees say they are descendants of Abraham and they've never been in bondage to anyone. What did we just read a moment ago, right? Certainly they knew that. What does this say? I think this, again, it speaks of them, it speaks of their pride and their spiritual pride forgetting their own history a little bit here. But at any rate, Jesus, though, he declares, he's not speaking of that kind of freedom. He has a different kind of freedom in mind here, though. And he declares that his disciples, his students, his learners, those who follow him, they shall know the truth. And that when you know the truth, that truth will make you free. So who are the ones then who are truly free? Well, it is those who abide in Christ's word. What does it mean to abide? It means to, it means to, uh, to remain faithfully and intimately connected, to remain in, to persevere. So it is those who remain faithfully connected to Christ and to the truth of his word. It is those who persevere in his teaching. 
It is those who abide, that is, remain in his word, who are the true disciples of Jesus. And those who do that, those who abide, they will know the truth, and the truth will make them free. Free indeed. But in what ways, though, in what ways does Jesus make us free? Well, Jesus tells us there, he says, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. I won't ask for a show of hands here, but how many of you know that when you sin, you tend to get trapped in that? It makes a slave of you, doesn't it? You find yourself trapped by something that, and sometimes perhaps you don't even know, why am I doing this? Or maybe you hate what you're doing, but you feel compelled and trapped by that. We become slaves of sin. But Jesus says, he will set you free. He will set you free. And so how does Jesus make us free? How does he make us free indeed? Well, there are three, three main ways in which Jesus sets us free. Three ways. First, Jesus has delivered us from the penalty of sin. That is, when we put our faith, our trust, and confidence in Jesus, you know, that Jesus said he lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God. God requires absolute perfection. And by the way, you want him to require that. Do you want, would you want to live forever and ever in a world in which people can sin, in which you sin? I don't think so. What kind of a world would that be? One that looks like, like, like this one, right? That's why we have this. That's why he sent a savior. And that's why he requires perfection. We don't want, to, we don't want a world like this. And so Jesus God requires perfection, absolute and total obedience to his law. How many of us have been or can be totally obedient to his law? None of us, right? But Jesus did that for us. He lived that life of perfect obedience to the law. He then went to the cross where he willingly took the punishment or the judgment for our sins on himself. He died He was buried, and he rose again. And the word of God assures us when we believe in Jesus, when we put our trust in him, in his perfect life, in his substitutionary death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave, we then are set free from sin, the penalty of sin, which is eternal judgment, condemnation, eternal separation from God. It's hell. He did that for us so that we might be free from that. We are set free from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is death, eternal separation, hell. But when we believe in Jesus, we are free of that, free from the penalty of sin. It's justification. Justification is that work of God in our lives where we are forgiven for all of our sin and we are declared righteous in Christ. See, he not only then frees us from the penalty of sin, he actually gives us his very own perfection, his holiness. So that's the first way in which we have free justification. The punishment for our sins is transferred to him and we are forgiven. Christ's perfect life of of obedience and holiness is credited to us, imputation. Scriptures then tell us then that there is no condemnation 
says, therefore, there is no condemnation then now for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Second, the second way that Jesus delivers us, the way that he makes us free, is that he is delivering us from the power of sin. He delivered us from the penalty of sin, but he now is working in us to deliver us from the power of sin. We call this sanctification. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, whereby then we become more like Jesus Christ in thought, in word, in deed. We are increasingly set free from the power of sin in our lives as we live by the power of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, we're told this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is the yoke of slavery we submit to? Sin, by the sins that we willingly submit to, right? It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You know, we read here, and Paul is speaking the same thing in Romans chapter 7. How many of us can relate to that challenge of that inner war, that battle between us, right? The one that wants to do the right and the good, the holy, that which is pleasing to God. And then the other part of us, that sinful nature within us that does not want to do that that wants to sin. So these are at war within us. But he says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's a good list there, right? But even then, that's not everything, but that's a pretty good list, right? It says, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus has, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It's by the power of the Spirit that we live, that we have eternal life. Let us then live our lives in conformity with the work of the Spirit in our lives, being obedient to Him, keeping in step with Him. So Jesus delivers us from the penalty of sin. Jesus is delivering us now from the power of sin in our lives. But finally then, third, Jesus will deliver us from the presence of sin, the very presence of sin. The scripture calls this glorification, 
that is the work of God in our lives where our salvation in Christ is brought to completion as we stand before him, made perfect in every way, and our bodies are raised in resurrection splendor. Romans 8, verses 29 and 30 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Isn't that wonderful how that's put in the past tense there for us? Because it is so sure and certain. Jesus has delivered us from the penalty of sin. He is delivering us from the power of sin, and he will deliver us entirely from the presence of sin. So we are free, we are becoming free, and we will be free. We are free indeed. That's true freedom. Some think that, that freedom means the ability to do anything you want. How many of you know that being able to do anything you want isn't necessarily real freedom, right? Doing anything you want actually often leads to bondage, doesn't it? But we will be free to do anything that is pleasing to God, and that is true freedom then. That is blessing. So Jesus continues the conversation with these Pharisees and the rulers. He says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. See, there are two fathers here. You see, Jesus knew that the religious rulers were seeking to kill him because his word that is, the truth of who he was and what he was teaching, had no place in their hearts. They had rejected him. And Jesus spoke what he received from his father. His father is God the Heavenly Father, God the Father. But these religious leaders were speaking what they had seen from their father. But their father was not God the Heavenly Father, they had a different father whom Jesus is going to make clear in a moment here. But the Jews insisted that Abraham was their father. And Abraham was indeed their father physically. They were biological descendants of Abraham. But Abraham was not their father spiritually because they did not do the righteous works of Abraham. Instead, they were seeking to kill Jesus, a man who told them the truth which he had heard from God the Father. Abraham listened 
to God the Father, and he obeyed him. But what they were doing, they were not doing the deeds of God the Father like Abraham did. They were doing the deeds of their father. Who is their spiritual father? Well, as we will see, it is the devil. You think they're going to like that? Ouch. They're not going to like that one, are they? And they get what he's saying. They get where he's going. Because look at what they say. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he, is a liar, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. How do you think these religious rulers and leaders liked hearing this, right? They did not. But Jesus tells them they didn't receive him, they didn't believe in him, because what they were deaf to God's word. They were unable to hear it. But first off, did you catch that insult? Did you catch that insult that they leveled at Jesus there at the first? They said, We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. Now, I think this is very likely an insult at Jesus. It is a dig that his mother Mary was not married to Joseph when Jesus was conceived. They knew the story about his birth. Oh, yeah, your mother Mary was a virgin. Right. So they're saying, we were not born of fornication like you were, Jesus. We know that Jesus was born of a virgin, but they denied that, and they're likely insulting him here by what they're saying. But you notice Jesus does not respond to the insult. How, about, how many of you are like me? If, if somebody insulted you like that, man, you want to you wanna give it back, right? You, those are fighting words, Right? What'd you say about my mother, right? Mm -hmm. You talking about my mama, right? But he didn't respond to that insult. He continues speaking and says that if God were truly their father, they would love him. But instead, they cannot understand Jesus or listen to him because they are of their father, the devil. 
and they follow the desires of their father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning and a liar. Note too, Jesus says, which of you convicts me of sin? Could they credibly convict him of sin? No, they couldn't because he had never sinned. So they could not convict him of sin, and yet they assert that he is a liar and he has a demon, and they seek to kill him. But Jesus says, those who are of God hear his words. But they do not hear. They're deaf to God's words because they are not of God. They are of the devil. Ouch. I'd be pretty upset if I was one of those Pharisees, wouldn't you? But wait, hold on. There's something else coming that they are really not going to like. It says, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. And then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. I am. The religious rulers continue to insult Jesus. They say that he has a demon, that he's a Samaritan. Another little insult and dig there, right? But Jesus doesn't have a demon. He honors his father, but they dishonor Jesus. He's not seeking his own glory. The father will glorify Jesus, and the father will be the one who will judge. Then Jesus says that if anyone who keeps his if anyone keeps his word, he will not see death. Jesus is what if you believe in me, you keep my word, you will not die. And of course, what are the Pharisees? They're thinking what? Physical death here. That wasn't the death Jesus was speaking of, though, was it? The spiritual. And so they say, Oh, well now we know. Now we know you're really out there. Now we know you have a demon. How can you say such an outrageous thing as that? If anyone keeps your word, he will not die. Well, Abraham died. 
The prophets before, they all died. Yet you, Jesus, you say that anyone who keeps your word will not die. Are you greater than Abraham and the prophets? Just who do you think you are, Jesus? Well, and I paraphrase very loosely here, Jesus says, well, since you asked who you think I am, I'll tell you who I am. I am, I am. I am God. I'm Yahweh. He says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day because you see, I knew Abraham. What? You knew Abraham? How can that be? You're not even 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. The religious rulers go ballistic because they very clearly recognized what he had just said. They realized that Jesus was claiming to be Yahweh, I am, the eternal sovereign Lord of the universe. So they pick up stones to throw at him for his alleged blasphemy. But Jesus slipped away from them because his time had not yet come. Jesus never claimed to be God. Christians made all that stuff up, right? Have you read the scriptures, right? In that context, in that day, to that audience, he could not have been more clear about making a claim to be God. And they, they knew it. So Jesus is... I am. He is the eternal sovereign Lord of the universe. And as such, he has all authority and power to forgive sins, to cleanse from sin, and to make those who believe in him forever free from sin. He has the power to make you free indeed. He has the power to forgive your sins and set you free. He has the power to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He has the power to raise you in resurrection glory because he is I am. And he has all power to do all he wills for you. Earlier this week, I uh, heard a poem by a future renowned poem poet, I have no doubt. Uh, a young man named Beckham, 10 years old. He is Ryan and Amy Strange's son, Beckham, Scott and Katrine's grandson, Beckham. 10 years old, he wrote this poem, and, I, and, and Katrine read this to me, and I thought, you know what, I'd love to share this with you. And so I got permission from Beckham, so we're good. Okay, no copyright infringement here, okay? But Beckham wrote a poem called I Am. It says, I am the brown eagle swooping in and replacing the snake of fear in your heart with peace. I am the cactus in the desert providing water when there is no more. 
I am the sun lighting your dark day. I am the cool wind letting you rest in the hot desert. I am peace. I am God. Ten years old. I'm going to keep an eye on this kid, see what he writes next, right? That's pretty good, right? Jesus is I am. So what? Jesus is the eternal I am sovereign Lord of the universe who can make you free indeed. Do you yearn to be free indeed? Well, through faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus can deliver you from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is eternal judgment. But he can deliver you from that. Jesus can deliver you from the power of sin. How does he do that? Well, he's given you his spirit, the Holy Spirit, and we walk in the power of the spirit. He increasingly sets us free from the power of indwelling sin. And Jesus can deliver you from the presence of sin. That is perfect righteousness in his presence and the hope of the resurrection, the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the mortal body unto glorious resurrection splendor. You can be free indeed. And he does all of this how? Through faith. Simple trust and abiding reliance on him. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that you have sent us a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And through faith in him, you set us free. And we are free indeed. Jesus has delivered us from the penalty of sin, eternal judgment. He is delivering us from the power of sin by the indwelling spirit within us. And he will deliver us from the presence of sin when we are raised in glorious resurrection splendor. Thank you, Lord, that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are free. We are free indeed. We give you thanks and honor and praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.